0: Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. That is our hope in his word that um, it is a firm foundation for our lives. And um, we move now to um, talking about his word. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be... As I said last week, we are working through um, the various aspects of God's Word, um, the the various attributes of His Word, um, because we need to know these things, because more and more we're seeing in our society um, less and less doctrinal understanding and not more. And so um, for the next several weeks, we're going to look at all that Scripture is, all that Scripture says about itself. And so 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17 tonight. Um, When Adrian and I were first dating... Uh, we would be texting almost all the time, as many young people are when they start dating these days. Um, just a constant text conversation, um, and you know, while you're at work, you're 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 kind of talking all the time. That if you're at a job where you can have your phone out, um, when I used to, um, I, I had a job in college and um, couldn't have my phone out, but there were girls that I was texting over the summer, so I take a lot of bathroom breaks to to go um, text, um, but. But the job that I had when Adrian and I were dating, I, I could have my phone out and we would text a lot. And, um, and certain times when she would text me, I would take screenshots of those texts because I wanted to keep them. I've still got them saved on my Google Drive um, early on because those texts meant something. I wanted to remember them. Um, these were the actual words from Adrienne about how she felt or what she thought or or, or how she viewed our relationship or, or things like that. And I would early on then, um, you know, when you're in that puppy lug phase, I would go back and reread them time and time again. Um, because when we hear the actual words of a person that loves us, it's something we want to continually go back to. And the Bible's like that. In the same way the Bible is God's actual words to us. This book that we have is not just a collection of ancient writings. It's not a list of Christian fortune cookie statements, as some people might view it. Um, It's not a fairy tale story. This is the actual words of the God in heaven, our God. But of course, we have to ask questions about how that came to be. Since men wrote the Bible, since God didn't, you know, stick his hand down out of heaven with a pen and write the book, we have to ask questions of how that came about. Moses wrote the Bible. Isaiah wrote the Bible. Paul wrote it. John wrote it. Depending what book you're talking about, a man or a woman in some cases wrote it. There's a couple books that we can say were probably written by women. Um, that, that is answered by the doctrine of inspiration. The Bible is inspired. God's word is inspired. We often use the phrase, the word inspired, to talk about um, you know, something made me feel good. Something really lifted my soul. Um, that's not what we're talking about when we talk about the Bible. Um, it comes from the Greek word for breathed out. It, it's, it's, the, it's the idea of um, when, when I speak, sometimes, you know, um, spit comes out. Um, that, that's the idea. Um, it's, it's breathed out. Inspire comes from the idea of spit coming out of your mouth. God is breathing it out. He's breathing out the scriptures. And we get that idea from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture is breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness, and you can be complete by it. You can be equipped for every good work by it. <clears throat> There's a period in history um, called the Enlightenment. It began around, eight, around 1685 in Europe, and uh, it went on for, I think, a couple hundred years. It was a time of scientific um, advancement and philosophical advancement and um, greatly affected society's view on the inspiration of Scripture. Um, be, people began to view the Scriptures as any other book, just any other book. We've got scientific knowledge that we can know now, and we, the the culture began to put that above divine revelation. Um, b- Begin to view scripture like any other book. Um, you know, look through it and see what is still good for today and what is not. You know, when I read a book, um, when, when I read just an average book, you know, a theology book or a history book or whatever, um, I read it and I go in with discernment. And I'm reading it to see what in here is helpful to me, what can be helpful to me right now. And I'm going to look over the rest. I'm going to probably not even think about the rest. But I'm looking for some things that are really going to stick with me and help shape me. In the Enlightenment, people begin to view Scripture like that. That it's not really all that great, but there's some things in it that are pretty good. Um, that, That greatly influenced many people. Even Thomas Jefferson, our third president. Um, Thomas Jefferson made what was known as the Jefferson Bible. He took a Bible and he went through. Um, legend says that he actually used a blade and he went through and um, cut out all the things he didn't like in the Bible and left what was left. He, he left a lot of the moral teachings, a lot of the philosophical teachings, a lot of those ideas, but anything miraculous, anything divine, he cut out. Um, I don't know. I'd have to check in history to know. I don't know if they had front and back pages then. Because my thought is if you cut out, you know, a paragraph on this side, well, you lose that side as well. But um, that, that's what he did. He, he would cut out portions of the Bible. And you can actually go, um, one of the museums in Washington, D.C. has the original Jefferson Bible, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a cut-up Bible with, with some things left in it and some things out of it. And this thought is still prevalent today. It's still prevalent today. In our day, the Bible is not the authority for most people. It's, it's just not. It's got some helpful things, people will think, but it's not supreme. So people will take what they like from it, and they'll discard the rest. You know, it'll be a comfort um, when, when I'm having a hard season in life to read, be still and know that I'm God, but I'll ignore what it says about maybe sins that I'm living in. Um, because, you know, it just makes Financial sense that I do this, or it makes logical sense that I'm doing this, or um, you just don't know that the struggles I've had will ignore those things. But this view of Scripture ultimately makes myself the authority because it sees the Bible as just any other book. Um, it's just the ancient writings of some men, um, and, and I get to decide what's best for me and I get to discard the rest. I'm the authority, but it's actually the inspired word of God. These words on this page in this book are God's actual words. He said them. Therefore, they have major authority over our lives. So as we talk about inspiration, um, Sidney, can you bring up the quote um, j- just so you can see the, the length of this? Um, this is how th- uh, theologian John Frame describes defines the inspiration of scripture. The inspiration of scripture refers to that act whereby the Holy Spirit came upon the authors of scripture, causing them to write exactly what God intended while simultaneously preserving each author's writing style and personality. This supernatural work of the Holy Spirit upon the human authors means that the author's words are God's words and therefore are reliable, trustworthy, and authoritative. So God wrote this entire book. He wrote the whole thing, but he used human authors to do it. He used human authors. This is why we can read the writings of John and see a very specific, a very different writing style from someone like Paul. You can read the book of Galatians, and it's a very different type of book and a very different author writing it than, than, than 1 John. And, um, you know, uh, David's writings in Psalms are very different than the often depressing book of Jeremiah, each author's um, style and personality is preserved within the book, but it's all God writing it through those authors. Though God wrote both John and Paul's writings, he used Paul and John to do it. So how did that work exactly? What exactly went into the writing of the Bible? Well, it's, 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 a, it's one of those many things in scripture that's a paradox. It's a paradox. It's two um, truths that seem to contradict, but when we bring it all together, it makes perfect sense. Um, and so we'll, we'll get into that, but um, understand how this happened, how God wrote the Bible. It didn't happen like maybe you've seen in a movie when, um, you know, some higher power has some kind of message to give to somebody. So they like get possessed and their eyes roll in the back of their head and they grab a pen and just start scribbling. That's that's not how the Bible was written. Um, that, that's not what happened the writers also didn't get like a heightened spiritual sense. Like they just had to sit there on a rock with their eyes closed, just focusing and straining really hard until they got into a, you know, a, a higher spiritual state. And, and then suddenly it's like it broke and, the, and they could start writing whatever God gave them. No, that, that's not what happened. Um, it's not, it wasn't like, um, you know, if you're cutting down a tree, and you're, um, you're using the chainsaw, and it's a really thick tree, and you're just pushing, trying to cut through it, and you know, it's not really budging until you get to a certain point, and then it just breaks and finally falls like that. That's not what we're talking about. No. There was nothing mystical about it. it the, the Bible writers wrote the Bible through an ordinary means. Paul sat down to write a letter to the Ephesian church because he had some correspondence to make to them. He had a letter to write to them. But the Holy Spirit divinely guided his pen to write every word that he wrote. That's what happened. Second Peter 1 21. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God spoke through them as they wrote a normal letter or a normal book. It's a paradox. It's one of those things that we believe that seems to contradict, but it's True, God is one God in three persons. That doesn't make sense logically, but it's true. Jesus was fully God, fully man. Doesn't make sense logically, but it's true. And scripture was breathed out by God, but it was written by man. God wrote every word he wanted to communicate, but he did so through ordinary writings of a human. He did it through various means as well. We can see so many different ways that he did that in the Bible. Um, revelation two: one he did it first, he did it through just literal dictation, um, Revelation two one to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right. So when John wrote the book of Revelation, it was literally Jesus telling him, "Hey, write these words exactly." and that's what he did. Sometimes it was through miraculous revelation, 2 Corinthians 12. Um, Paul says that though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord, and he talks about how he went, he was at one point caught up to heaven and he learned everything he knew there, and he was sent back down. Sometimes they wrote their words in scripture through research. Luke chapter 1, Luke says, uh, uh, in as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those Uh, who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me, also having followed all things closely for some times past, to write an orderly account of the life of Jesus. So Luke says in there, um, I went to all the eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus, I gathered information like a journalist, and I I wrote my gospel. That's what Luke did. He gathered research and wrote it, and God, the Holy Spirit, moved in him as he did that. Some of the things that the scripture writers wrote were from memory. John 14, 26, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit is going to help you remember, is going to help the disciples remember what Jesus said, and they're going to write it down. Some things in scripture are written by observation. You think of the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, It's just Solomon writing, saying, I have um, been through life I have experienced um, the the greatest life imaginable, had everything I could ever want. It was all empty. I've also seen um, money fail you. I've seen political things fail you. I've seen seen work fail you. I've seen pleasure fail you. I've seen um, so many things. Here's why you shouldn't pursue that stuff. So Solomon writes his book based on his own observations from life, and the Holy Spirit moves in him to do that. And finally, you have um, just sound advice. First Corinthians 7, 25, and 26, Paul says, concerning those who are engaged, I have no command from the Lord of what you should do, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Um, so he tells the betrothed, he's, he's in 1 Corinthians 7 giving instructions to single people and married people and um, you know, people with an abusive husband and, um, and, and the, the engaged is what he says. So when he gets to the engaged, he says, I don't really have any, you know, the Lord hasn't told me anything to, to say to you. So here's what I'll tell you just off of what, you know, my best advice I can give you. And the Holy Spirit uses that to make it into Scripture. That becomes God's word breathed out. God used all these means and more. He inspired them all. The verse says all Scripture is breathed out by God. All of it. All Scripture is Genesis through Revelation is inspired by God, breathed out, 66 books of the Bible. We'll deal with later in, in a few weeks um, how those 66 books came to be in the Bible, um, because there, there are translations of the Bible that have more books than 66. The Catholic Bible has, um, I believe, something like 70-something books in it. Um, we'll talk about why. Um, but, but all Scripture, Genesis through Revelation, the 66 books, that is what is inspired and it's not just the red letters that are inspired. It's important for you to understand that. The red letters are not, um, are not the only inspired, and they're not more inspired than the black letters, right? You understand, Paul or John, when he was writing his gospel, he didn't like, you know, when he got to a quote by Jesus, grab his red pen and write that. That was put in later by a publisher, right? All scripture, not just the red letters, are inspired. Sometimes people try to pit the words of Jesus against other parts of the Bible. So um, you see it a lot on um, certain issues in our, in our culture where they'll, where they'll say, uh, Jesus never said anything about that. And yeah, sure, he, it, the words that we have that he said, written down in scripture, he didn't say anything about it. But all scripture is from Jesus. All scripture is inspired from him. The Old Testament is obviously inspired. Many of the writers are writing direct words from God uh, Jesus viewed the Old Testament as inspired by God, as did the apostles. But what about the New Testament? Because it appears, you know, that, that we'll talk later about how um, about how the New Testament came to be formed. Because when the writers are writing the New Testament, they're just writing letters to churches. Um, so, do they have any understanding that they're actually writing Scripture? Well, it appears that they did. They understood that. Um, I don't know how that worked, but we, we, we know that they did. Paul actually wrote four letters to the Corinthian church. We have 1 and 2 Corinthians. Um, there's actually, he wrote four letters. He references in his letters that he's written other letters to them. Um, but only two of them made it into Scripture. Only two of them were, in, were breathed out by God. I don't know how all that worked, but it did. We'll talk a lot more about that in, in coming weeks. But at a certain point, it became clear with the writers... Um, that after Revelation was written, the canon of Scripture was closed. There was no more. There would be no more books of the Bible written after that. All Scriptures breathed out by God, and that is the words themselves are inspired. The words that you read on the paper are inspired. It's it's not just that the ideas are inspired. It's that the words themselves are. The words themselves as they're written are actually inspired the order that the words are in are inspired. God chose that. So it's not in the Bible, but if the sentence in the Bible was the dog jumped over the red fence, those seven words, God intended for them to be written in that order, in that way. But that presents a problem, doesn't it? Because I'm preaching from the English Standard Version. I read devotionally right now from the Christian Standard Bible. Um, Some of you have... Um, the ESV before you, some of you have other translations before you, and we know that if, if I read a verse from the ESV in, you know, whatever book, you can read that same verse in a different translation, and it doesn't read exactly the same way, does it? The words are not exactly in the same order like that. So does that completely crush our argument that all scripture is breathed out and all of it's meant to be in the exact order that it's in? Well, not exactly. Because what ordering of the words uh, is inspired? Did God inspire the ESV? Did he inspire the King James Version? No. God inspired, breathed out the words that the writers actually wrote when they wrote their book. So, the Hebrew words that Moses wrote and the Greek words that John wrote are what are inspired. That is what's directly inspired. We don't have those anymore. We don't have the actual sheets of paper that they wrote down on. But we do have really faithful copies of them. And we have really good English translations of them. So you are reading a translation of the inspired word when you read your English Bible. That doesn't mean you should lose confidence in your English translations. God is faithful. He has faithfully preserved his word in very good translations. You can take that to the bank. It also means that um, there, there is no one translation that is the best, that is the only good translation, um, while others are bad. The, the King James Version is not the Bible Paul and Silas used. Some people like to say that. It's a very good translation, but it's not superior to the ESV or the Christian Standard Bible or the New American Standard Bible or others. There are some translations you need to stay clear of, like the New World Translation, which is... Um, one that, it's either the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons use, but it, it's, 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 it's changed. The, the false things that they believe are backed up by that translation alone. All scripture is breathed out by God, and why does this matter? Well, because of the second part of verse 16 and all of 17. It is profitable for us. It is profitable for life and doctrine. It says it's profitable for teaching and teaching and reproof. That is positive doctrinal teaching, what I'm doing right now, and reproof, correcting false doctrine. When false beliefs come up in the church, you can use scripture to say, that's not true. Here's why. God has told us. Scripture is profitable to teach you what to believe in as true, and it's profitable as well. It says, for correction and for training in righteousness, for, for correction and for training. So positive training, training in righteousness. So um, we're, we're trying to get Haddon to start um, potty training. We're having some trouble with it, but we're trying. Um, that's positive training. We're trying to actively teach him something. But then correction. Correction is... Um, correcting bad understandings of things. So um, Haddon likes to run circles around our house and around this church and around uh, the yard and around everything that he can find, right? Um, and so what he does in our house is he likes to run circles and come into the living room and run up against the the, the, door, the back door and like slam his hands against the glass. And we're, we, we've got to correct that. We've got to say, buddy, don't do that. You're going to shatter the glass and hurt yourself. Positive teaching, potty training, correction... Don't run into the glass. That's what Scripture is profitable for. Um, it, It positively trains us in righteousness, and it corrects us from unrighteousness. Scripture is profitable to teach you how to live a godly life and to correct you when you aren't. Because all Scripture is inspired, it should all be read and all be preached. You should read your entire Bible. You should make it a goal that you're going to read the whole thing at least once before you die. But preferably more often than that. Uh, Not necessarily every year, but maybe. I I don't read the Bible every year all the way through. Um, I try to. I don't always make it through in a year. But um, read the whole thing. The whole thing is inspired, all of it. So read it all. It's the words of the God who loves you and the God who made you. Read the incredible passages of Jesus rising from the dead in John 20. And read the mundane passages of genealogies in Genesis. Read the glorious book of Romans. And read the book of um, Leviticus that people mock as uh, as a silly book that who cares what it says anymore. Read the stories about Jesus and read the stories about Abimelech. Read the passages that are easy to understand, like John three sixteen, and read the difficult ones that are hard to understand, like the stories of God telling people to go in and kill entire villages. All of these are profitable, even those that don't seem to be. This is why I aim to preach the entire Bible. That's one of my goals in ministries. Over the course of my entire life, preach the majority, if not all, the passages of the Bible. Now, it's going to look a little different depending where I'm at. As I'm preaching through Exodus, and in, in a couple months, we're going to start hitting some of those passages that are just hard to preach. Like, what do you do with this? Like, uh, there's, there's two, three chapters in Exodus dealing with, here's, how, here's the measurements of the tabernacle. Uh, here's the measurement of the courtyard. Here's the measurement of the wall. Here's the measurement of the door. What, what do you do with that? I'm going to preach it. Now, I'm not going to spend as much time in that as I am in the Ten Commandments, um, i'm you know not going to preach that in the same way but but they're all scripture all scriptures equally inspired we should understand that um, it, it's not all um, has the same level of weight to it if i'm at the deathbed of a lost person um, i'm going to read them passages of how to be saved i'm not going to open up and read them the number of musicians that David had in his court that um, so there are certain passages of the bible that Probably carry more weight in certain moments than others, but it's all inspired. Scripture is God himself telling us who he is. This is incredible. It's undeserved. The God of heaven has told us who he is. He has given us a book to show us. We can read it and reread it over and over and over like I used to with those texts from Adrian. I can hear again what he, how he feels toward me, and what he thinks of me, and how much he loves me. I can read that over and over and over. We can know who he is because he has actually breathed out these words. It's not that some preacher wrote something about God, and maybe it's true, or maybe it's just his, you know, crazy rants that he gets on in the middle of the sermon. No, no, he's these are the actual words of God. We can stake our claims that this is God's word breathed out by him. If God really said all of this, Genesis to Revelation, it changes everything. It changes everything. The words of this book have full authority over our lives. Verse 17, what's it say? It says that we can be complete from this book, and we can be equipped for every good work, not Some good works, not a few good works. No, every good work God calls us to, we can be equipped for it through the scriptures. You can know the fullness of the Christian life by by reading this book, but you can't know the fullness of the Christian life if you don't read this book. You're missing out, he says, if you won't read it. You can't read a daily devotional and not read God's word and be complete. You can't skip out on God's word and be complete. You can't just watch a preacher preach and be complete. In a few weeks, um, we're going to talk about God's word being authoritative. That's one of the attributes of God's word. It's authoritative because it's breathed out by God. It has the right to tell us what to do and what not to do. It has the right to tell us how to do things. It has the right to tell us when we're wrong. It has the right to command our lives. It's not just making holy, sanctified suggestions for us. It's telling us what to do. So where else will we go? If it's true that God's word is inspired, breathed out by him, we have to respond to it. And how did Peter respond to Jesus? I think I read this passage last Sunday. John 6 Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. This is after he had preached a really hard sermon. So Jesus said to the 12 disciples, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you're the Holy One of God. You have the words of eternal life. You have the words that grip our soul and um, Jesus isn't standing right here beside me right now but he's provided his word for us in the same way and through the Holy Spirit he speaks to us through his word we don't look for God's words in the clouds or in our spaghettios we hear his word we read his word and he speaks to us We aren't waiting for God to tell us something. He has. If you wish to hear God audibly speak, I challenge you, open your Bible and read it out loud, and you'll hear him audibly speak, because these are his words. We hear God's word. We obey God's word. We long for God's word. We know and enjoy the power and the glory of God's word, because this is the very words breathed out from the God in heaven for us where else can we go than this inspired word let's pray father i thank you for your word i thank you that it is inspired and beneficial to us and profitable and able to complete us and equip us Um, it is all that we need for the christian life we have all that we need in your word for life and godliness and so lord i pray that we would um know that and love it i pray that you would fill us with joy in that and help us lord to um to, to place our stakes on your word. Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we believe and have come to know that you're the Holy One of God. You've told us who you are through your word. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.